This podcast is supported by Zoll LifeVest. Sudden cardiac death is a leading cause of mortality in low EF patients with heart failure or following a heart attack. Zoll is proud to partner with your care team to pursue better outcomes together. Visit LifeVestResults.com to learn more. Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My dear cardio nerds, this is Amit Goyal. Join us on a new adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American Guidelines. This is a multidisciplinary collaboration between the Cardiators, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with the mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, CardioNerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 6.1 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Christian Fabrook-Anderson, answered first by Houston Methodist Medicine resident Dr. Najah Khan, and then by expert faculty Dr. Eugenia Gianos. Dr. Gianos specializes in preventive cardiology, lipidology, cardiovascular imaging, and women's heart disease. She is the Director of Women's Heart Program at Lenox Hill Hospital and Director of Cardiovascular Prevention for Northwell Health. Christian, take it away. Thanks, Amit. Yeah, I've got a really interesting question that's got me stumped. Here it is. An asymptomatic 55-year-old man with no past medical history presents to clinic after having a cardiac CT as part of an executive physical. His coronary artery calcium score was 200, and the coronary CTA demonstrated isolated 70% stenosis of the left circumflex coronary artery. He's asymptomatic and able to jog two miles daily without limitation. He was recently started on aspirin 81 milligrams daily and a torvastatin 40 milligrams daily by his primary care provider. His LDL is 50 milligrams per deciliter. His hemoglobin A1C is 6%. His blood pressure is 108 over 70. What would you recommend? A. Stop aspirin 81 milligrams daily as he has not had an ASCVD event or revascularization. B. Cardiac catheterization and stent placement in the left circumflex artery. C, increases the torvastatin to 81 milligrams daily. D, perform a stress test. E, no change in management. Najah, do you think you'd be able to help us with this question? Absolutely. And Christian, what a fantastic question. Really, in this situation, I would say that the correct answer is E, no change in management. And this is a very common clinical scenario that we encounter. Though this patient has not had any ASCVD event or revascularization, you would consider low-dose aspirin with the definite evidence of CAD on his imaging. And that's a class 2B recommendation level of evidence C. He is asymptomatic and does not have high-risk anatomy on CT, including any proximal LAD, left main disease, multivessel disease. So percutaneous coronary intervention or stress testing is not indicated. His LDL is well-controlled, so increasing the torvastatin would not be appropriate at this time either. So really, the main takeaway from here is 
aspirin, 75 to 100 milligrams daily would be considered in the absence of MI or revascularization when there is definite evidence of CAD on imaging. Hey, Dr. Gianos, is there anything else you'd add to this explanation? This is a really good case for what happens in clinical practice. We often get patients coming in as part of routine screenings and a lot of these executive physicals where we now have diagnosed disease that's there in the absence of symptoms. And, you know, historically, we've always felt compelled to stent to do more, to revascularize. I think in the era of the ischemia trial, particularly in the absence of angina in this patient, it is clear that he would not benefit from PCI. So therefore, further workup of any form to look for significant stenosis is not likely to benefit this patient. So I think that staying with this particular regimen is, is absolutely the way to go. And aspirin by both guidelines in the presence of any degree of disease is warranted in this patient in order to reduce risk long term. Thank you so much, Dr. Gianos. Just an additional question that I had for you was, could you review the use of aspirin in primary prevention specifically in this patient's case? Sure. You know, what we think of as qualifying for aspirin has really changed over the years and also how we define, you know, secondary prevention in terms of clinical events is very clear and based on our guidelines, we know that those patients benefit from being on aspirin. And then in the primary prevention setting, you know, we do have subclinical disease that's noted and then we have patients who are simply based on risk factors, perhaps at risk for heart disease. Now, for those with just risk factors, you really have to get to a very high risk score before you would warrant aspirin because benefit is not as great in that particular population. And then in the subclinical disease population, it's also quite muddy. And, you know, our guidelines, I think, aren't as clear as we would want them to be. In patients who have any degree of plaque on an angiogram on a CTA, the use of aspirin is reasonable, as well as with respect to calcium scoring, based on review of data from MESA, a calcium score of about 100 had been shown to sort of be that differentiator for the benefit outweighing the risk in terms of protection and bleeding risk. So those are some of the things that we use to guide the use of aspirin. I think one lesson we've learned is that in all of these patients, the greatest benefit comes from statin and aspirin in the higher risk populations. Gosh, Dr. Gianos, Aja, thanks for taking us through that very nuanced discussion of when to use aspirin for primary and secondary prevention. Those were some amazing clinical pearls that I think will be helpful for many folks listening on, certainly including me. Thanks again for sharing your expertise. Boop. Boop.